0: Well, this morning, we find ourselves in Revelation chapter 17. And so if you have a Bible with you or a Bible app or you have uh, the Pew Bible, you can go ahead and open up to the back of that Bible and open to the book of Revelation chapter 17. And that's where we will find ourselves this morning. But before we get into the chapter... I want to share a little bit what my Friday morning was like, uh, because it was full of unexpected tears, Uh, and so, and and in a good way, in a good way, but nonetheless, about once a month, I try to do this moment, or this period of time, where I spend about five to six hours just spending time with Jesus, and, and letting him lead wherever that goes, and because sometimes it's not my what I expect it to be. Sometimes it's about what I think I need to do rather than what Jesus wants to produce within me during that time. And so this Friday, I got up with the intention of of doing one of these extended personal communions with Jesus. And I started my morning as I normally do with my cappuccino and my Bible open and praying and reading the scriptures. And as that time was coming to an end, I was like, all right, Jesus, what are we doing next? And it was very unexpected. I felt like he was saying, I want you to finish this book. There's a book series that I have been reading for the last, I don't know, maybe year. And it's taken me way too long to finish it. And I've been reading it with uh, one of my friends who suggested it because he really wanted to talk about it with me. And it was just taking forever. I was in the last book. There were four books. The last book is like 96 chapters. And I was in chapter 75. And he just he's like, when are you going to finish it? And Friday morning, I just felt like the Lord is, it's time to finish the book. I was like, really? You want me to just read this, this novel and that's going to be our time together? And he's like, yeah. I just want you to finish the book. And I couldn't understand why, but as I started to read and my heart started to be filled with all these different things as I was reading. And it started unpacking a lot of things that were going on in my own heart, and I was like, this was unexpected. (laughs) And mind you, this is is supposed to be a children's kind of novel. It's written for eight years old and up. It's It's a young Adult, young children's fiction. And the author is Andrew Peterson, which, if you know Andrew Peterson, he's a really well known Christian artist. He's written a lot of things that you would probably know. And this series is his first foray into long story. And it's called The Wing Feather Saga. But I don't want to go into too many of the details. And I'm not going to share too much about the ending, which, mind you, had me in absolute tears at the end. I was a wreck. And I was a wreck all of Friday. All these little things would pop up, and it would just remind me of the ending, and I would just start weeping again. But as I was approaching the ending, there are some words from one of the main protagonists of the story. His name is Janner. And Janner is 12, 13 years old in the story. But I want to read these words because I think they're so important to our text today in Revelation. You see, a lot has happened. His family has been running away from and trying to escape this evil force, this evil one that is against them, that's coming after them. And It looks like they have have been captured. And they had this hope that if something had happened, that the maker, that's what they call the creator, God, in the story, that the maker was going to help them out. He was going to do the right thing. But things didn't happen the way that they had expected. And so I want to read these words. Janner leaned his forehead against the door and sniffled. The maker Once again, he had failed them. I thought the maker would help us too, he said quietly. But it looks like we're on our own. If he's real, he doesn't care. Don't say that, Kalmar said. Janner looked up. Why not? Because we're alive and we're together. And we don't know for sure what's happened to Banrona or to Mama or Grandpa. Maybe, maybe there's still reason to hope. Maybe there's not. But maybe there is, Kalmar said. Janner sighed and plopped onto the cot. It was a pointless argument. The maker would do what he would, and they would suffer for it. A little bit later, Janner was sweating and shivering at the thought as if a fever had ambushed him. Angry as he was with the maker, he prayed to him, begging him to be real and to have some end in mind that would surprise them, nag most of all, and nag is the evil one coming against them. But from his dark cabin on a ship docked on the shores of a blackened island, Janner couldn't fathom it. Whatever Nag was planning would be terrible in ways that the world had never seen. And then lastly, it seemed to Janner that the maker had betrayed them yet again. Because a foreboding storm gathered behind them, and the air howled with a steady gale, blowing them straight and swift to the shores of the hollows. What do we do? Lili shouted over the wind, wiping tears from her cheeks. What can we do? Kalmar said. What have we ever been able to do? Janner asked bitterly. Nothing. Nothing. He dropped wearily to the steps that led to the upper deck and sat with his head down. Kalmar and Lili sat beside him, shivering in the blustering cold, damp with sea spray. Behind them, the charred shores of Anira shrank to a dim, dead shadow in the distance, while before them, beyond the reach of the driving storm, the hills of the green hollows rose from the sea like the backs of a drowned giant. Growing ever more vivid... And Nag the Nameless reveled in the violent wind, looping and tumbling, gliding down past the port side of the ship, only to flap his wings and rise again. His laughter dwarfed the thunder. Janner had little doubt that whoever yet lived in Banyo- Banrona heard Nag's voice on the wind like the pealing of doomsday's bell. As I read these words in these chapters, I felt that defeat that Janner was experiencing. I felt what he was going through, how it just seemed that every bit of evil that had surmounted in the world had finally made its final charge against the rest of all that was good. And in those final moments, he's asking, where had the maker gone? Where was his presence? And I think often we too feel that in the world around us today. As we look out and see all these wars and these rumors of wars and these disasters and these quakes and these, this violence that's just erupting around us, it seems like evil is winning. And our hearts are heavy. And we ask the question, God, where are you? How is this your plan? Well, let's read Revelation chapter 17 and maybe there is hope yet hear these words and then one of the seven angels who have been who have who have the seven bowls came and spoke with me saying come here I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters with whom the kings of the earth committed sexual immorality, and those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her sexual immorality. And let's keep in mind that we aren't just talking about sexual immorality. We're talking about all idolatry, all adulterous things, every lust of the human heart. That's what they made with the harlot that, that John is describing here. It's not just that they were immoral in their sexuality. It's that they were immoral in every fiber of their being and they drunk of her wine. And so he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness and then I saw the woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was clothed in purple and scarlet. And adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and of unclean things of her sexual immorality. And so, she's just adorned with lavishness. Right, we actually kind of touched on this a little bit last week, right, how we can be lured away by all the ostentatious things of the things that we have, the things that are afforded and offered to us in the world in which we live. And every person was drawn to her because she was so rich. They were drawn to the lusts of their heart, the desires, the, the sense of greed that they had to acquire more because she was adorned with so much, they wanted it too. And on her forehead was a a name was written, a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. What a great name. What a great and terrible name written upon her forehead. And then I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. And I saw her and I wondered greatly. And the angel said to me, why do you wonder? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. You see, the beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. And those who dwell on the earth, whose name has not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, will wonder when they see the beast that he was and is not and will come. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits, and they are seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must remain a little while. And the beast, which was and is not, is himself also an eighth and is one of the seven, and he goes to destruction. And the ten horns, which you saw, are ten kings, who have not yet received a kingdom, but they receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour." These have one purpose, that they give their power and authority to the beast. These will wage war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. Because He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with Him are the called and the elect and faithful. And He said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and crowns and nations and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw in the beast, these will hate the harlot and will will lay waste to her and make her naked and will eat her flesh and will burn her up with fire. For God gave it in their hearts to do his purpose, both by doing their own common purpose and by giving their kingdom to the beast, until the words of God would be finished, and the woman who you saw is the great city which has a kingdom over the kings of the earth. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, as we hear these words and this testimony, Lord, allow our hearts to be open to receive the fruit of its wisdom. God, that you would make much of yourself and very little of ourselves, knowing that we are but small and weak, but you are strong. And you are mighty. And you are sovereign, and your will will be complete no matter what we see. And so, Lord, we love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What a terrible and great ending that we see before us in chapter 17. We see this world in which there is a kingdom that has risen, a city so great that all are drawn to it, all want to... Put their hopes and dreams in what is afforded with that one great kingdom. It's interesting to me, and I'm not going to say that it is, but when you equate that to what you see in America and the American dream and this hope of wealth and power, sometimes it makes me wonder. What do I serve? Who do I serve? What do I long for? What do I want? Am I constantly drawn by the aspirations that are afforded in such a great country? Or am I being led by a kingdom that is not of this world? And by a king who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But as people hunger and thirst for the lust of their hearts to follow the harlot wherever she goes, the world is led to an evil and wicked state. It's led to an evil and wicked place. We read from Matthew chapter 24 Just these signs of the end. And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that nobody deceives you. Verse 5. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And I want to say this. People will come and they won't necessarily declare that they're the Christ. But they're going to declare that they have all the answers. They're going to say that I have the solution. I know how to fix the world. I know how to fix our country. I know how to fix our economy. I know everything that is broken, and I am the Savior of it. That's dangerous. Because they might not be saying that I am Christ, but they certainly are using language that sounds a lot like Christ. And you are going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. For those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations because of my name. And at that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will deceive many. And because of lawlessness is multiplied, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed. And the whole world is a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. It's not hard, as we've been saying throughout this entire series, to see the evidence of these end times prophecies being fulfilled today. But it's not because we're at the end time, but the fact of the matter is that from the moment that Jesus died on the cross, we entered into that age. And we see just this hurt all around us. We see... Kingdom after kingdom arise and fall and Then a new one to take his place. I think that's what's meant when we read in here in verse 8 the beast that you saw was and then is not And is about to come again This is constant cycle of these evil Spirit of the Antichrist people who were, and then they won't be, but then they'll rise again. In the context of Revelation, it's Rome. And the evil emperors that exist that rise up, and then they're no more. Rome is no more. But then another one comes down the road and takes its place. I mean, look throughout history, right? I don't think there's a single one of us in this room that wouldn't say that Hitler was filled with the spirit of the Antichrist. Evil. I don't think that there's any one of us that wouldn't say that Pol Pot was filled with the spirit of the Antichrist. That Stalin was filled with the spirit of the Antichrist. That Kim Jong-un and Kim Jong-il are filled with the spirit of the Antichrist. That Saddam Hussein was filled with the spirit of the Antichrist. But all along, they were, and then they weren't. But then another one came and took their place. Throughout all history, it's this cycle of rising and falling, of war coming And going of people rising against people and nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom until we reach the end. And there's one last one, one final battle, one final realization. But in that realization, the world comes to a head, and evil is at its height. And it looks like God has left. As Christian after Christian is martyred and killed for their faith because they believed in the name of Jesus. And in that story that I first read, evil seems like it's getting the last laugh. It even said that he was laughing, that Nag was laughing as he made his way to the green hollows and was about to end everybody left. Whatever Nag was planning would be terrible in ways the world has never seen. And in those last days, the enemy will do things in terrible ways that the world has never seen. And Jesus said that there will be some whose love has been lost and they will lose their way and they will wonder where God has been. I get it. I get Janner's little heart and wondering where is the maker? Where is the maker? But there is one verse in 17. Verse 14. And they will wage war against the Lamb. And the Lamb will overcome them. Because He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And those who are with Him are the called and the elect and the faithful. Notice, All who have called upon his name are right there with them. But guess what? They're not the ones making an end of the war. It's the Lamb's war. And he ends it outright. It was always Jesus' victory. It was Jesus' victory at his first coming, and it will be his victory at the second coming. And all along the way, verse 17 reveals something very important to us. Because God gave it in their hearts to do His purpose. They think that they've got their own plan. That all these evil people with all their plans to work against all that is good, they think it's their idea. But verse 17 says it's His purpose. It's always been God's purpose. It's always been the Lamb's sovereign victory. No matter how bad the world gets around us, remember that it is the lamb's victory at the end of the day. And that God has put it in their evil hearts for his purpose. In fact, there was this one moment, and I turn back, where Janner is praying. And he says that he prayed, as angry as he was with the Maker, begging him to be real. But I love this and to have some end in mind that would surprise them. Most of all, Nag. Most of all, the enemy. I'm not going to tell you the end of the story. something amazing does happen and the maker does something that surprises them all I think it surprises Nag the most the difference is between this story and ours the enemy knows what's coming and yet he still deceives himself into believing that he can overtake God but he can't That's the good news for all of us. That God's sovereign victory through the lamb, through Jesus, is that Jesus isn't just a lamb, he's a lion. And his purpose will be fulfilled in those final days. And his kingdom will come. And his kingdom will have no end. And all we have to do Is be faithful to follow. To follow him into his victory, not ours. I love this from 2 Timothy chapter 1, or chapter 6, verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith, fight that good fight, and take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign and King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has ever seen nor can see, to him be honor and eternal might forever. Amen. What faith he calls us to. When the darkness seems to close in, fight the good fight. A spark is all you need for faith to have its power within you The victory is already his Don't feel like you have to claim it somehow It's not about always what you do I Would say it's not at all about what you do But it's about the one who you follow into victory. It's about going to that sovereign lamb and knowing he wins. He wins. Let that encourage your heart this morning. Jesus wins. And everything that is happening is according to God's design and plan and purposes. The evil in this world cannot carry out any will other than God's The evil in this world cannot carry out any will other than God's Even when it looks like God is not at work. He is And we can lean in and trust That Jesus wins every time all the time, on the cross and in the last days. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, we love you. We thank you for the good gift of your son Jesus, that he is at work and that he is the lion and the lamb, that he is winning on our behalf. The victory is yours. Lord, let us live from victory instead of trying to fight for it all the time. Sometimes we just need to lay down our arms and say, Jesus, this one's yours. This one's yours. This one's yours. I'm just going to come to you and trust that you are at work. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.